0: to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Donner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today's episode is with a gentleman I listen to on a podcast called 1111. Her name is Simron. I listened to her podcast quite a bit. Just a lot of her guests uh, resonate with me and I know would resonate with you. But um, I listened to this gentleman. His name is Patrick Paul Garlinger. He's an author and he has channeled his first few books. And the one I read that I listened to On that podcast, it was about his recent book, Endless Awakening, Time Paradox, and the Path to Enlightenment. And just even the title, you know, of course, like sparked (laughs) an interest in my mind. And I got the book, read it, and then got so excited to interview him. And you will see, I could probably have talked to him for another hour. You will enjoy this episode so much. And, you know, I also put my episodes on YouTube. So feel free to go there and check out so you can watch it if you'd rather be watching an episode. I know a lot of my listeners do both. And when they watch the YouTube, they always say, oh, it was so fun to see the person or connect that way. So I always invite you to go subscribe to my YouTube channel. But anyway, I just, this year, you know, we're now in February and, I am living in a different place and I owe it a lot to these guests that I've had on that have expanded my mind, expanded my life, expanded my soul. I mean, I I can't explain to you how, where I've been and now where I am. The person I was even two months ago is different than I am now. And it is so exciting. And I see when people dm me or send me a message through facebook or email me and say oh my gosh i you know i went down that rabbit hole and i loved her or him and you know thank you so much you've changed my life or this one woman messaged me through and she lives in singapore <laughs> listened to the podcast for the last year and said how much it's changed her life so it's so fun to see where this podcast is going and who it's touched and who really is listening and I feel like each person I bring on this podcast has, has that ability to expand us and move us to the new earth. And, you know, people keep, I keep talking to people that are talking about this new earth and, it, you know, we're living in it now and I choose to live in it now. And I see the responses and the my friends who are understanding that this is the new earth. We are living that And to understand how. And this man today that you're going to meet, Patrick, is going to explain to you how he has moved into that place. And his, like the way he looks at life and the way he writes his books is just an amazing, makes you understand really life, where we're going. Yeah, I loved his book. You will too. So get it. It's Endless Awakening. Patrick Paul Garlinger. Let me give you a little bit about him before I bring him on. Patrick Paul Garlinger is an award-winning author who experienced a profound spiritual awakening, awakening over a decade ago, where he began to meet numerous spiritual teachers and experience higher states of consciousness. He writes to help humanity transcend the way we think about the nature of reality and the meaning of life. And I know that is all, whoever's listening to this is all on that journey with me and he is going to be one that will be one of your teachers and you are going to enjoy this conversation. I like I said we could have kept going but I just know you will enjoy this. So let's bring on Patrick. Welcome Patrick.
1: Thank you so much for having me Ashley. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, uh, all the way from New York City.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> How's the weather? What is the weather like right now? Cold.
1: Cold overcast it rained a lot last night it's a sort of gloomy winter but no snow we've had no snow so
0: oh huh anyway i love taking my girls to new york so i i mean i i've been kind of thinking of that lately and then i see where you live and and i want to go to where i found you on the 1111 podcast with simran mm-hmm. And I do listen to her podcast here and there because there's guests on there that I know will resonate with me and that I want to. So that's where I first met you. And I got the book, Endless Awakening. It's right here.
1: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um,
0: After I listened and I knew that I wanted you to to come on to share your magic because your story, the way you got to where you are, the way you've written all these books is really you're speaking my language of where I am at and my spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. So even reading, it was almost like I was reading a textbook (laughs) in this book because I was like, yes, and you said it a certain way in your life experience and it's so easy to read and I feel like you're my friend explaining to me the story that you had. And I know the other books are channeled in this one you just wrote, but um, I always love looking back at knowing that everything in our life is perfect, Mm -hmm. everything about that you talk about the paradox, you know, like. When how and how with this book, and the timing is perfect. Because look <laughs> at where this world is right now. This is yeah. where we need to be. Everyone needs to read this book. Oh, thank just, you. No, I mean that because when the way pe- we live right now, and the good and the bad, you should like that or you shouldn't like that. All the things, the dualities of you know, and to to live the way you talk about in this book. Ah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> what a way thank to live.
1: You. I'm doing my best to live up to my own writing. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so let's go to, you know, I go back to when like you were in first grade and you were in Utah and you were, you came to school and I'm trying to get to where you get to this, you know, God consciousness or, you know, this spiritual enlightenment, because when I look at your life as just this first grader, what a six-year-old and how you just realize this moment and how it kind of took you a while to get back to that place. Can we start Mm -hmm. there? Is that okay?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And and for everyone listening, you know, that episode when I was a little kid in like the first grade where the other kids wouldn't play with me because of how they saw me uh, through as a particular kind of religious figure. I was Catholic and they were Mormon. And I'm always careful when I tell that anecdote that like, this is not an indictment of any of these right. religions, but the kids didn't want to play, play with me. And I was like, what? And it was really a very deep, shameful moment of feeling like, Oh, there's something really wrong with this whole picture. And so, yeah, I, I ran away from Christianity, Catholicism, going to church, and I became really very much wedded to my mind to logic, reason, education. I got a doctorate in Spanish literature. I was really into philosophy, theory. And then I went on to get a JD. I became a lawyer. You know, it was like super rational. And I remember every once in a while, something spiritual crossing my path or hearing about a psychic and, oh, my eyes rolled. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was very closed. And I remember There was a time in my life where I picked up and I discovered yoga. So one of the things I love about the way the divine works is that I was going to a gym in Atlanta, Georgia. That was, you know, I was like a gym bunny in my thirties and I went and there was this power yoga class. And I said, Oh, power yoga. That sounds like something I should do. I said, can I do that? I've never done it before. And the, the front desk person's like, sure, anybody can do it. Go ahead. I go in. It turns out it is a serious Ashtangi yoga who's like reading, like saying all the poses in Sanskrit. And I am sweating buckets. And I have no idea, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And then, then suddenly, you know, meditation shows up. Another book shows up. And it just sort of began to plant tiny little seeds. I like to refer to that period of my life as sort of the The awakening that I didn't even know was an awakening stage.
0: Right, right. And when you met somebody like a woman, Amma,
1: is that another
0: moment that kind of opened you even wider?
1: Yeah, Exactly. So I, you know, was basically practicing yoga and very much in the world of Zen meditation. Zen was kind of my first area because it was non-deistic. It was still very intellectual. And it was like, just your experience, sitting. You were sitting and meditating. And I was very comfortable with that. And then I went through really like a dark night of the soul. like My world fell apart completely. And I can get into any details you want. But in the midst of that.
0: Tell me what the dark night of the soul was.
1: Oh, okay. yeah. So I had graduated law school and I was clerking for a federal judge. And I was getting ready to sort of embark on a career. My path, because I'd been a professor and gone to law school, I thought I was going to go into legal academia. I was going to be a law professor. And yeah, God had a lot of other plans for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like to imagine, you know, my guides and the divine sitting up there going... So funny.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not, inter- sorry to interrupt you, but I was, I always look, and I know you talk about this too, is the Patrick that would have stayed on that journey, is he still doing that? You know, like in still all doing that? yeah,
1: the, I, all those I do, I, we, we're going to come back to that. There's uh, <laughs> In part, I think one of the aspects of, you know, my whole process is kind of coming to accept all of these sides of myself and loving them, even if I'm not living out that timeline or that dimension of myself. But I was in a already a pretty overworked and unsure place. But I essentially turned down a fellowship to Harvard Law School. Um, and it was one of those moments of my first real contact with an intuition that I had previously kind of followed when it suited me and when it kind of aligned with my intellectual things. But I was essentially waking up every morning for weeks with the most gun wrenching nausea. And it's like, mm-hmm. I have to turn this down. I have to turn this down. And, you know, and then then throughout the day, I'd persuade myself, no, 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 this is the right choice. We're going to take this. this. This is the path. And then it would come up again. And literally, I had kind of a break. I had a breakdown. I mean, like, I turned it down. And I was like, I cannot believe, I've who does this? You know, my advisors are like, what are you doing? Why are you turning this down? Nobody had any rational explanation. Mm-hmm. And I was a nervous wreck. And in the midst of all that, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I just turned this down. I burned all my bridges. Where do I go from here? And then all of a sudden, people started showing up in my life. I, I had a friend who was an acupuncturist who said, you know, you should go see my friend, this person who's a, a psychic medium. And I was like, okay, I'm at the point where I'm like, I need help. Just, <laughs> uh, okay, fine. I, you know, obviously I've lost control of my life. And within that, one of the suggestions that came across, was is go see Ama. Who I, I'd never had any experience with any figure like that. And so I went and got in line and saw Ama. And for for people who are listening who don't know, she's she's known as the hugging saint. She, you know, previously, prior to the pandemic, would tour the world constantly, giving people hugs. Hmm. And it sounds to somebody who maybe doesn't have a, a framework for that, like what you know, why would you go get a hug from somebody? But I sat in that audience. And I'd gotten there so early to be like right at the front. And in walks this very sweet, diminutive Indian woman. She's she's not very tall. And I was instantly welling up with tears. I'd never felt love come off of somebody like that. Mm. And um, when I got in line and I got to my hug, I literally just burst into tears and I'm like heaving and sobbing into this woman. And I don't know what she's whispering something and it's 15 seconds. And then I'm in the corner kind of integrating this, just filled with the most incredible light that I had ever expected. I Just all of this was wow. just mind-blowing for me.
0: Uh, were other people, is that what it looked like after you walked away or what before you approached her? Were people all like crying and having that, experience?
1: I think there's a, a range. Some people were, you know, clearly people who had also seen her before who could really feel that. And other people are kind of curious, like, who is this? It's always interesting to visit these events, which are known as darshans. And you see a range of people. And sometimes you see, you know, famous people that you're like, oh, you're coming to get a hug from Ama, oh. And and there's definitely a mixture. And I wouldn't say I've had the, the same exact experience. But I've definitely felt the same energy from her. It wasn't something that was a one-time experience. The the times that I've seen her, it felt the same.
0: Hmm. Okay. So you meet Ama. It opens up this whole new what dimension that you're like, whoa. This is yeah. like this is where I could be or go. Yes,
1: that, well, and it was there were there were a couple. There was another critical event in there, which is that I, in the midst of all this, also had found um, an energy healer who became my teacher for many years. And it was the sort of thing that, again, happened because I was really in a place where I, I had recognized I had not listened to my intuition and I didn't know what was going on. But I remember one morning waking up and feeling this incredible urge to visit the Kripalu website. And I had never been to Kripalu. Huh, I had I've never even heard that go. word.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: And so Kripalu is a retreat center in Lenox, Massachusetts. And I had wanted to go there for a yoga retreat years prior, never made it. So I'm like, I just have to check out this website. And I pull it up and there is this, um, you know, picture of a woman, an energy healer I'd never heard before. Her name was Mirabai Devi. And just a light bulb went off. And I said, I, I have to work with this person. And she has a tremendous capacity to sort of send light into somebody. I'd never really done any kind of energy work other than I'd I'd had somebody do a little bit of Reiki, which was very gentle. Right. This, when I, she started doing what she does, I literally fell on the back of the, uh, like just fell on the ground. Mm. And this incredible energy was just, pounding my third eye it was just boom 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 and it was just incredible and I remember the only thought I could think of was God exists like it was this moment of like oh God oh, exists wow. <laughs> and huh. these experiences are just happening you know kind of one after the other after the other and so then I'm on a parallel track I'm living two lives I became a lawyer and then these experiences are happening.
0: Wow when you started channeling the council that was that before your kundalini
1: oh yeah so giving a bit of more time reference here yeah time, so this right? is all happening starting to happen around 2010 okay uh, 2011 and so i continued to work with Mirabai for many years um doing a lot of energy healings doing a lot of chakra cleansing opening up the chakras uh, working through, you know, a lot of karmic stuff, learning a lot about, you know, um, the nature of reality, divine, how to work with forgiveness. So we're working on all this, and I'm steadily clearing and healing and holding more and more energy. My meditations become so much more intense and deep, and sort of constantly feeling the energy in the third eye or in the crown chakra. And it was uh, in 2015, then, after years of working and while I'm also lawyering um, and doing all this, you know, in my spare time, uh, mm-hmm. that I have a kundalini awakening that I completely did not expect, just unprepared for, in the sense that all the work that I had done, I thought had kind of accomplished the equivalent of a Kundalini awakening okay. when I had cleared out a lot. So, um, and it happened, you know, I just began to feel this incredible pain at the base of my spine. And, um, for days it was there and I thought it, it felt like I had like, you know, worked out too hard and I had like, oh, you know, pull the back muscle. And I kept stretching and I kept doing all these things to be like, Olivia, I was taking some Advil and doing some (laughs) very typical things thinking, okay, I've just, you know, what did I do at the gym? And then I just, I was kind of exhausted from this kind of constant pain and it felt like pain, tightness. And so I just, I laid down and I was like, I'm just going to like see if I can relax into this. And then the base of my, my, spine exploded it was just like a hot cold just erupted and this energy started to move up and it would stop at a different chakra and it would sort of stay there for a while and it was sort of buzzing and it, occasionally there'd be a release and then it would go back down and move up and i could just tell that this was a Kundalini rising like
0: you did was, know that during that time you, i you, did
1: i like right away i was like wow oh this huh. is what a Kundalini rising is like Huh. coming out of the base of the spine. And so much of the work had been, you know, receiving energy. Right. This was clearly originating from the base of the spine. And it was about a month into that experience that, um, and these these experiences were really intense. They happened every day, you know, for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour sometimes. Sometimes I was really sweating and just like purging. Wow. It was beautiful. Um, And then it would subside and I would sort of relax. And then one day, it was about a month into it, I just heard this voice that I'd never heard that was, we're going to write and we're going to write quickly. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And it was a beautiful voice. Like it was, it was divine father in the sense of it was very loving, but it was also really direct. It was like, I, I experienced a lot of my awakening and growth happened with divine mother figures. So I have mm-hmm. like a really deep love. And in a way it was perfect because, uh, you know, my father wasn't really present in my life. I don't have uh, m- much of my own karmic history was sort of working through my relationship with male authority figures. So right. here comes divine father, like we're going to write and we're going to write quickly. And it identified itself as the council of light a term I had never heard. I told my teacher, Mirabine, she's like, oh, I, I I know who the Council of Light is. I've worked with, you know, it's like, oh, what? Yeah. You've huh. never mentioned them before. And I very quickly started receiving these downloads 15, 20 minutes at a time. It was just, I felt like droplets on the top of my head. It was like energetic rain droplets. And I just typed frantically, just typed. And in the course of... Six months. I had done only three different books. It was about two months each one. There was like a little bit of a break. And then the next one started, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not ready for that. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> it was beautiful, but it was intense. And I would find myself in really awkward places. I remember one time I was on an airplane. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just trying to type and look normal, not look like I'm like, you know. Blah. Because I would reach a point where I would lose the thread or it was just so powerful that I would kind of go into what's a state known as samadhi. It was like just blissed out. I couldn't hold any words and I would just sit there for 20 minutes. I was trying to contain myself at times when these things would happen uh, on their own accord.
0: Wow. So those are the books that you, the bending time.
1: That's right. So I published three books. Seeds of Light was the first one. And that one was all about an introduction to the Christ consciousness. And then bending time sort of really went into taking a lot of those principles, but getting into how time works and why we have such a complicated relationship to time. And then the last one was what felt like a real departure, but was all about kind of like our relationship to kind of social structures, how we in our individual consciousness then go about creating collective structures and how there's a real disconnect between the way that we often think about social change and trying to sort of correct those things. And I had to then sort of spend the next however many years, three, four years kind of transcribing them, cleaning them up, because it was, you know, sort of written in, in this like very stream of consciousness. And then like, you know, when I go back to sort of correct it. It was like filled with typos and
0: things right. like that. But you didn't like the first when you were talking about the Christ consciousness in the first book. When it was coming through at the first time, you were just typing. And it was that, were you understanding it after you would read the pages? Was there- After
1: I would read the pages, I mean, one of the things that as they were talking, they're like, don't, you know, don't try to interrupt. Don't try to understand. Don't try to grapple with this now. Just really, it's like, you know, you're being a channel right now. Like you're just receiving. And, you know, every once in a while, I'd be like, I'd have like, it would say something and they would have a question. I would ask a question and I would just transcribe it and be like, what? And then they would sort of answer. So the first book has a little bit, you know, all of them have a little bit of dialogue. I think the least amount is in the third one. And, you know, it always would surprise me because I, as much as I was immersed in, you know, the spiritual world, for me, I would not have gravitated to the phrase Christ Consciousness. You know, that's not where I would go. That's it's it's a beautiful term, but I have my own history with you know Catholicism Christianity. Right. That would not have been the place I would use. I would have preferred a term like unity consciousness or just enlightenment or something. So I was always really surprised. And in a way that I feel I can say, because truly, like I did not come up with these ideas although there were concepts within me that were you know already pre-existing i was really very taken by surprise with a lot of the insights and discussions of time i would have never thought to write about those things
0: right so, because i you know time i've been wrapping my head around that I, that's one of the common themes and some of the questions that i ask in this podcast and it's taken me probably the last 2 years to where i've like kind of wrapped my head around it but when i i know that you I mean, that's really a big part of the book that I just read and being in the present moment. Will you explain the way you can explain time? Because it's a beautiful way. I'd
1: be happy to. So, to give a little context for your listeners, spending time was a lot about how much we can manipulate time and how we can learn to stretch it out and we can learn to accelerate it and the ways in which you know, we are constantly navigating time, avoiding time, etc. My, the council, my guides don't refer to time as an illusion. They said time is an agreement.
0: Hmm.
1: And I've always found that a really fascinating way to think about it because it's basically the idea of like, we, an agreement for them is kind of like a constitutive paradigm of the reality that we're in. In other words, As much as we can talk about, like, there may not be time for the soul's perspective, we're all living in time. I mean, we're all aging, we're going to die, we're going to leave these bodies, and we play with time all the time, right? We're constantly navigating time, we have a history, we have memories, we have an identity. And so, while we can't escape time, and the the goal isn't to escape time, we can learn to really play with it in a way that's really Powerful, recognizing that we have a connection to. So they they don't use the word illusion, although occasionally I will use the word illusion or illusory. And what I came took from all of their teachings, and that that's where I ended up with endless awakening was kind of accepting this sort of paradox around time. Or I began to see sort of time as this sort of paradox of you know we only have the present moment. Every moment that we're experiencing is a present moment, but then we have a memory, which is a recreation, and we have the future, which is, if you want to call it an imagination, it's 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 something that we're creating in our imagination as to what the future may look like. We can't escape time. I mean, and one of the things that I think is really fundamental as a as a spiritual seeker is to embrace the fact that we will leave our bodies. And that's you know, there's nothing, no way around that. But as I I've like to mention, we within that can play with, you know, our understanding of time. And one of the places where for me that it's most helpful is, you know, thinking about the fact that I am only in the present moment that I know. And we know that being in the now is an incredibly powerful perception. And at the same time, we're actually never Really in the present as it is. It's a present that we create. You know, I perceive only so much of the present. Right. And everything that I perceive is filtered through my perceptions of of what I know. So I'm actually seeing something that is sort of molded by the frameworks that I have that come from the past. And so part of playing with time and playing with our perceptions is learning to sort of slow down. And allowing yourself to see what you haven't seen before. And it kind of accepting that you, you're you always going to see what you've seen before. And then kind right. of saying, well, what am I actually not seeing here? You know, where am I seeing you? This is true, especially of relationships. When I see somebody, how much am I seeing them as a version of somebody who once was? I mean, how right, right. they may have changed a lot. So that's it in a nutshell. Sort of holding... These different concepts of time, there's only the present moment. We're always seeing through the past. There's definitely a future where we leave our bodies, and they're all true.
0: Right. I use the word, you don't use it as much as me. I say limiting beliefs, and my perspective is based on what I have programmed into my mind that I believe. Yes. And your point of the way you teach is being in the moment I mean the way you talked about it at the end of the book about how people are like rushing around to check the bucket list, you know, and like going and like waste. Don't waste your time. I mean, there are so many things I could relate to in that moment. Like with, I have two children and they're in their teenage years now, and I look back and think of you know their childhood is. You know, it made me think of how have I been present in their as a mom being present in their childhood, that's huge importance to me. And I've known and been present from before they were in my, my belly. Right. Like I, (laughs) I was intentional. I was an older parent, and I just knew, but when you write these words, like, you know, how we live and it's like a, these words, it's always based in time, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, we got to hurry. You know, we don't have time, you know, hurry up. You know, yes. instead of just like what the thing that I wrote was, let's see. And, and there's, I've written, and I don't usually do this, but I didn't want to mess it up. But you said, our fear of a future death, no time to waste, slow down. Life is fuller. Yes, life is fuller when you slow down. Like mm-hmm. you explain it in a way of like, you could just be at peace and in the now. Yeah. And really get into that practice.
1: Yeah. This is an important practice for me. And part of it is I have my own kind of karmic history that other people who've read me have pointed to, which is that I do move quickly. As I'm talking with you, I tend to speed up. When I walk Mm. in the streets, I am like the fastest walker. My (laughs) husband's always like, can you walk a little slower? I just have this pace. And I remember getting read by somebody once who was like, yeah, you're almost moving so quickly. That you're actually not even seeing what you're supposed to see. Right. And two experiences in my life really, really brought that message home. One, which I've talked about in the past was a moment when I was doing all of this work in, in this intensive work with my teacher. There was a moment that I was standing. I was actually, I was in a hotel in Manhattan getting fit fitted for a custom suit. So I'm sort kind of standing there, my arms out, you know, sort of measurements mm-hmm. happening and I'm staring at the floor and I thought just pops, in. My, I'm seeing little droplets and I was like, oh, it's raining. And I'm like, but I'm staring at the floor. I'm not. And all of a sudden I just began to see what looked like, you know, when you get out of the shower and there's kind of mist and there's just like little droplets. Right. That's what I was seeing everywhere. Then I went to a friend of mine who is a beautiful, beautiful, um, psychic medium, Tony Leroy, giving a little plug there for anybody who wants to visit him. And he was like, Oh, you're, you're seeing new frequencies of light. And I had never done that before. Something had shifted. And so I was seeing like a little bit different part of reality. And I, to this day, that's what the world looks like to me. And, huh. you know, I've had my eyes checked. I wear contacts every day, you know, physical realm, but this, Aspect of reality I hadn't seen before, and it took kind of slowing down of it. And the second was on a meditation retreat where I went for like nine, 10 days and really physically slowed down so that the material world that I was taking in, I began to take in so much more data. And all of a sudden, I could see details. And things that I just never saw before. Hmm. Everything everything was so much brighter, so much more intense. And I was, this is by like day seven, I'm like literally eating my meals like this, you know, like an hour to get through because I had slowed down. Even then I wasn't taking in the whole world, but it was just amazing how much we filter out from day to day. And we just sort of say, I know that, I know that, I've seen that before.
0: Right. And yeah, you've changed my perspective for sure. I, the last couple of days after reading this, it just makes me realize like how many things I miss. And I think I'm all open and, you know, I do my, like, take my dogs on a walk and, and I'm like so in a, I feel like I'm have this awareness that I'm soaking it all in, but I'm not like, I was like, wow, I, I need to go to the next level. I need to be Patrick. Like, Patrick's <laughs> like the, you know this example of understanding that when you are that, and you realize that there's no separation from anything, that we're all this. It's all at one,
1: right? And you are open. There's you know one of the things that I think is really important because you you just said oh you know I have to get to the next level and it's like you, but you are open. Right. You, and you are. You say that in. a lot
0: in that book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things I really try to emphasize. Because, you know, I don't walk around at this, like, incredible snail pace now, soaking in the world from moment to moment, where I have to meet the world at its pace. Right. And I have to accept that I have to live in separation. And for me, what has come out of that is, in a way... The beauty of separation. You know, we begin with the idea of we realizing, oh, I've I've been living in this realm of separation. Right. I'm not one with all. I'm this autonomous being and you're you, and you know, there's nothing connecting us, and it's just my five senses. And we have this incredible capacity to be like, whoa, no, that's not it at all. Like I've had experiences of oneness where like All of a sudden, I'm on the flowers, I'm the landscape. This is amazing. Or I, you know, I'm feeling this incredible energy, or I'm connecting with somebody energetically and realizing, like, you know, this is what's happening all the time. And we are autonomous beings. We still have to live in our bodies and we have to be separate. And that's actually a really beautiful thing for me. The process sort of coming from separation where you're like, this is it Mm -hmm. to like, oh no, there's this oneness. Right. And then coming back to separation, I mean, like, how beautiful is that? I mean, you know, sovereignty, autonomy, you know, your own life, your identity, your sense of your journey. It is separate and it's beautiful.
0: How many of you drink coffee in the morning? I know most of you do, or if you don't, it's because you have found an alternative to have instead of coffee coffee because of the side effects coffee may have. I have been drinking Four Sigmatic for the past three years because I realized its ingredients were much healthier than just the regular organic coffee I was drinking. Four Sigmatic helps people achieve wellness with the world's most nutrient-dense ingredients. It enhances focus, boosts your mood, and even supports your immune system. It is mixed with functional mushrooms like lion's mane and chaga. These superfoods are some of the most studied wellness-supporting supplements on the planet. Try it risk-free today, and if you don't love it, get your money back. Go to go.forsigmatic.com forward slash uncover magic and receive 30% off your order when you use the code Uncover magic. What is your meaning of why we came and why did your soul come into Patrick's body on this time and this planet mm-hmm. on this earth?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a great question. There's the standard answer, which I would just say when I say standard, I feel like you know a lot of teachers. You know, our souls are here to learn to love and and learn these lessons of, of that we're all one, and that we come back to source and we come back to the divine. And all of that's true. So, they answer that, though, in a slightly less one-size-fits-all kind of way, which is, you know, what does it mean? What did? What? Why did Patrick's soul come in? Which is this wonderful thing because, in a way, you know, you you've already hinted at this this question, which you know, because you mentioned like I'd had all these experiences, I've lived these professional lives, they're very intellectual, and then I had this channeling experience. And then I wrote this book and I'm going to answer your question. I'm not avoiding it. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote, I wrote this book and you, as you said at the beginning, you know, you wrote this book and it's true because I have loved my channeled experience as an experience. And I love those books. I have a deep affection and reverence for them. An unbelievably like reverence you know an unbelievable reverence for for having had the experience of being connected to the council and yet i decided that i didn't want to be at least for now this i didn't want to be a public channel like i didn't want to be somebody who shows up in channels and like that this is what i do
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and i can talk about why but i i i had my own reluctance around that and said you know what I want to find a different voice, and you know, counsel's like, you know, you you do you, you know, free will, you, know, like, you right. know, there's there's a sense of destiny, and there's also free will. And so I wrote this book, and I really wanted a voice that sounded like what felt like Patrick, mm-hmm. right? Not sort of Patrick's higher self or any sort of channeled voice. And I think that my journey in this lifetime as Patrick is really finding and embracing all of these aspects of like Patrick as this Spanish professor, Patrick as then the lawyer, and then, you know, he didn't pursue that, but these are parts of me. And understanding the divine and that unity as one that isn't about leaving behind this body, this experience, this identity or something that's sort of non-material.
0: Right. So you, one of the part of the book where you say, you sit one day, you sat and you're like, who's Patrick? (laughs) Who is Patrick? (laughs) You know, like, I mean, I wrote it down, but yeah, he's nowhere and everywhere.
1: Right. He's nowhere and everywhere. It was the most incredible thing. And I remember I just like burst out laughing because it was so simple for like this instance where like this whole question of the self and its pursuit dissolved, right? And because so much of our work and mine has, this has been my story too of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What does it look like? And I won't pretend that those those questions aren't still part of me, right? right? Uh, you know, they may point in different directions, you know, am I supposed to write another book or should I be doing something else? You know, what's the way that I'm supposed to be doing this kind of work? There are infinite ways of doing it. You know, it doesn't have to be one way. So I may be playing with those questions and I think that there's a tendency and I think this has been my tendency in past lives of sort of kind of striving to feel like I'm connected to God and maybe those experiences are the ones where you are blissed out or the mystical experiences. Right. When I've had experiences that showed me that everything in my happening in my life, all the mundane, boring stuff, was just as magical, but we just didn't experience it that way. So if there's a, a path for me, it's like, yeah, I'm everywhere and I'm nowhere, it's this experience of a self that's illusory that kind of holds itself together. But just because it's an illusion doesn't mean it's not also magical, right? Like right.
0: when you talk, because you're big on intuition and teaching intuition. Mm-hmm. I think of you when you say forgiveness, awareness, and intuition. Those are the three, like, main, what, centers that you focus on to.
1: Right. Yeah. Past, present, and future. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, how we relate to time. And I, I, you know, learned the hard way, as we discussed, kind of how it is, what life is like when you don't trust your intuition. When you don't feel guided. And the interesting thing is that despite all of my guidance now, which I have, and I, I, I really trust my intuition and I really trust the, the, the guidance I receive, I don't have, I don't have a picture of what I look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And I've been told repeatedly, you ain't getting one. <laughs> don't even ask for it. Oh, funny. There's a lot about putting one foot in front of the other, trust, surrender. I'm not in control. And yet I feel the most in control and safe, the least insecure when I'm only thinking about this moment. And then, you know, in this moment, oh, if I have to plan something, I mean, you know, the future exists. We all have to plan with calendars and do things like that. You know, I I be aware of tax time and you know, do those things. Right. But thinking just a few steps ahead and really trusting that.
0: But how do you depict? I mean, I've, you talk of, you know, your intuition when you're teaching someone to trust that voice, take that inspired action, move those steps, just keep moving forward, listening, mm-hmm. moving. Yeah. How do you teach? I mean, what are, I know you, it's a long process or, but what would be one of your th- tools that you say this is how you decipher mm-hmm. if it's your inner t- intuition or if it's, some voice from your ego, or what is? Yes. How do you decipher oh, that?
1: Hardest thing in the world, right? The hardest thing in the world, unless you've had, you know, unless you're like a channeling experience where you're like, "That's not me," and I'm being directed, like, do such and such, and and that happens for me. You know, am I listening, and is it ego or not? And that's a, in a way, that's something we're all gonna play with and sort of look at. Was it really? my intuition, or was it really my ego, or is there some mix in there? And you know, to which I say you just do your best at any moment to sort of decipher them. But it's intuition is really about practice and getting to know the, what it feels like when you've dropped in and you're in that intuitive state versus sort of attempting to logically deduce the steps that you ought to take. And you know, sometimes it happens when, you know, people know when they, they, they go to the gym and they get in their bodies or they're like taking a shower and their minds sort of like, you know, relax a little bit. And then you have the light bulb moment of like, ah, oh. or that's when you hear the prompt, like I should do this. And those moments you, you want to hold on to, particularly the moments that when they flash and you feel like a spark, like, ah, oh, that's exciting. What I like to do with people is get them to realize that. You know, your intuition can is you're always taking in information. This is the part where it's like, you know, you're not really separate. You're always taking in information. And sometimes we'll have got reactions about people, situations. You know, usually these things happen like very instantaneously. And then the ego comes in as the naysayer. I like to encourage people to practice as much as they can hearing and being guided in very like what I like to call like no risk situations and they seem trivial but it's like doing a little bit of exercise so I encourage people to change the route to work like most of us fall into habits it's like we're mm-hmm. gonna take this road we're gonna take this road and I'm just just let yourself be guided
0: yeah it's like I do set that the intention yes. right
1: or am I going to turn and you, you you can just feel the pulse like you'll just feel it or One of the things I love for people to practice, and most people don't realize that they can do this because it's not considered one of the the most important psychic faculties, but the ability to taste something psychically. So when you're in a restaurant, you know, we typically fall into like patterns of like, oh, these are the dishes I like or I don't know about anybody else. I'm a, I have a sweet tooth, so I love certain things. And, you know, I'm a big brownie fiend. I, you know, I thought about starting my own brownie blog. I love brownies so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but if I go into a bakery and I'm staring at the, at the dessert case, I try to taste these things, not just by appearance, but I like allow it, I'm like, what do I think this is really? And usually I can tell, like, you know, that's actually going to be sweet or that's actually going to be dry or whatever. And I play mm. with it. It's so small because what's the harm? I mean, you get, you know, you, you order a meal, it didn't turn out to be so great. Right. You no, know, but you're telling yourself this is a moment where I can listen. And it doesn't have to be life altering. It doesn't have to be career, relationship, you know, some major part of my business where if you
0: not going to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Harvard.
1: Harvard. Um uh, you know, you, you can do it and the risks are low and you're telling yourself, I can trust myself. I can listen to this voice so that when you get to the big decisions, you're like, Oh, I know what it feels like to drop in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that was you, my
1: course in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you have, that's what you do. You, you do teach an intuition. I do right? teach it. Yeah. yeah. But when you so how do you describe your higher self? Because I always am like in meditation, I'm visualizing my higher self. And is that how you describe it, your intuition is coming from?
1: It's so funny you should ask that because as somebody who's channeled in a, and it feels like very feel it in the crown chakra and it's a very specific kind of energy. When I'm doing kind of, and if I get a download about somebody, that's what it feels like. You know? But if I'm doing, intuitive work if i'm like just sort of connecting with somebody and reading right then and there it feels a little different i feel kind of i would almost describe myself as feeling kind of empty like i'm not quite here it's like Mm. like almost like if you were to see me as like an image that kind of faded a little bit and it's an interesting feeling because there's less of me involved and then there's just this flow of information that comes through. But it's definitely not coming directly from the crown chakra. I would say that when it comes to my higher self, that has been a very different experience. And I know there was a time when I was working with my teacher when I suddenly began to feel this energy sort of coming down and it was felt, it felt very different from what I had previously experienced with her or Ama or anybody else. And it was like, wow, I have never felt more alive. And I was just experiencing it. And she, she's incredibly And She's like, your higher self is integrating into you.
0: Oh. And
1: it's sort of, I was like, yeah. And I was like, I felt more me than I ever have. You know, sometimes when you feel this, this incredible energy, it's, it, it can feel beautiful. It can feel alive and it can feel cleansing this was like, oh, this is sort of the essence of who I am. And it was slightly different. That doesn't happen when I'm reading people, but that was the kind of integrative experience that I had that made me realize that, you know, we are kind of always in connection with our higher self, but our higher self isn't fully in our experience, our, our lived experience every day.
0: Huh. got it. It so doesn't when feel you...
1: like it's, a little bit separate from separate
0: us. right yeah. and I try it that's why I was asking like how do you to integrate that with connecting your intuition and connecting that connection I guess is what I was what I was oh, asking
1: yeah I think there's nothing wrong with sort of appealing to your higher self for that guidance absolutely it just so happens that that's not typically the way I work when I work psychically. For whatever reason, I don't know. Now that you're asking so when, me, I'm like, why isn't my higher self doing the readings? Why? <laughs> yeah.
0: But how are you? How do you do the readings? How do you do that? Because yeah, you were so when I read
1: people, it always begins, and it this is the way it's always been. It always begins with a, a download, a clear audience. It feels like the council. It's very authoritative. It's like here's what's going on here karmically. This is sort of the background. These are the issues that are coming up, and it's usually big picture stuff. Really big picture stuff. I have a really strong sense of people's sort of trauma, the stuff that they haven't resolved and sort of where they are avoiding their work, right? That's one of the tricky things on the spiritual path is, is sort of we we want things to be better. We know that things can be really blissful. And I, I think for me, at least, the spiritual path has been about diving really deep into like the stuff that you know you didn't really want to face. And then when I'm with them, I when I first read somebody in person, I get a clairvoyant image. And it's always very metaphorical of kind of how they're relating to some major issue or something, something a pattern in their life, like a limiting belief about how they're behaving. And so then I share, and then along the way, people ask questions and I get either claircognizant or clairsentient senses of like, oh, you know, you should be careful about this or do that. And, I'm very careful personally I don't like to tell people at all certainly don't tell people what to do that's their sovereign right to do right. what they do I also feel really strongly that predictive work is is very tricky I'm, uh, I'm a big proponent of like helping people to sort of see what is in their lives now and what they where their work is mm-hmm. and not telling you what's going to happen two years, three years from now. Right. That's not my area where I, where I typically read people.
0: You talked about like every, there's no wrong choice. And I always raising children, you know, that comes up a lot, especially as a teenager and Mm -hmm. getting ready to go to college and talking about the passions and what you're going to, you know, study or, you know, and I'm always, I just, from my background, and, you know, when I can look at my life and the choices that I've made, they've all led to here. There's They all are the right choice.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They're all the right choice. Right. Even if at the time you're like, what, what, you know, or looking back and thinking I made the wrong choice. I have no doubt that, you know, for all of us, we've all, we've all done the best we can. And we've made the right choice in the sense that there are no wrong choices. You know, there are infinite paths to our destinations, we may have had choices where we had been given opportunities to learn a lesson and then we didn't learn it. And then we tried it again and we didn't learn it and we tried it again. And sometimes like with like me where the universe is like, you will wake up. You um, are going to learn to listen to your intuition. So, you know, here's what's going to happen with Harvard. Bam. Right. You know, thankfully I learned from that. Um, But but if you didn't,
0: if what? you didn't if you didn't listen to that intuition and you did go to Harvard and you played that Pete Patrick out, Great would question. you do you feel like there would have been some other path that would have brought like I always talk about like the whys in the road? Like that would have been a why, but it would have brought you back to the the yellow brick road that you're following. <laughs> exactly.
1: Absolutely. You know, I absolutely think that's what would have happened. And what may have happened at Harvard or down the road may have been like Calamity. I mean, maybe I get there and I'm like really miserable. Maybe there I'm in an accident. Maybe something I get sick. Who knows what happens? You know, whatever it was, it was telling me, don't go that way. Right. Something terrible, terrible, you know, in quotation marks could have happened. Like so many people, we've, you know, you have experiences in life that seem really devastating at the time. And then you look back and like, oh, that was such a blessing in disguise because it did X, Y, and Z for me. I have no doubt that that's what would have happened and I've also had my moments when I'm still processing that where I'm like you know why couldn't we gotten there like, well why do we have to go that way couldn't we have gotten less a little bit easier <laughs> to which you know I'm reminded like well you know you did have a lot of psychics and things show up in your life and you rolled your eyes you know like like you did, right. you, you were like no no I'm not gonna deal with that oh. <laughs> until you know basically as my friend Tony said the universe hit you upside with the with a frying pan cuz that's what it took for you know lawyer patrick to wake up
0: oh my gosh you know when you think of how you know you, you know life and why we came here and the lessons we're here to learn lessons and grow and do you believe that after we die tell me where we go and what's death to you mm,
1: yeah You know, it's so good. Because that's your last
0: chapter, right? Yeah. Yes, your time. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of part of the I mean, this is all part of the book, but um, I haven't gone down like a organized, (laughs) but it's all good.
1: (laughs) No, no, that's great. You know, because that's one of the areas that I I've thought a lot about. And, you know, I if I were to rewrite that chapter today, I might put a little bit more emphasis on, you know, sort of. What comes after what I've been told comes after what I believe comes after, which is, I do believe that we, you know, our consciousness survives in some way and we go on and we have a life review and we meet loved ones and we have a whole other experience there. And part of that is, you know, from what I've been told in terms of the guidance I've received, you know, divinely counsel other teachers my experience with mediums and at the same time, and I think this is part of going back to your question about, you know, what, what is, what is Patrick's life purpose here is I don't want to live for the afterlife, neither in a sort of like, Oh, I need to accrue really all the good karma in the world so that I get to, you know, heaven. So I'm not, I'm not operating from a, that kind of perspective. Right. But I also don't want to not be fully here because I think, oh, you know, it's all going to be fine. I mean, you know, who cares? I'll, I'll die and, and the afterlife will be great. It will be. I mean, you know, that I'm not concerned about. And yet, I don't know what it's like to live outside of a body, right? Like this is, right. you know, we talk about being outside of God. I don't know what it is. Like. And I talk about in the book, I mean, do we appear as ghosts? I personally have never seen a ghost. I, you know, are we operating in some realm? What, what does it look like? I don't know, and so I don't want, for me, I don't want this certainty about what the afterlife is going to be like, so that I don't pay attention to my material world, and and part of that is that I don't want to short circuit a fear of death. I think one of the most powerful things that anybody can do is really face the fear of death. And I won't say here that I've conquered my fear of death, but really looking at it and being like, that's it. I don't know what comes after because then there's a real preciousness to life. Like, I don't want this to be like, eh, this is right. just sort of, you know, a <laughs> prologue to the really good stuff and I'm just right. getting through it, right? Right, like, exactly. Hey, whatever happens, fine. A bus knocks me off. Fine, I'll finally make it to heaven. No, I <laughs> want this life to feel really precious. I mean, that's that's the part that I keep coming back to again and again of kind of the... It's very hard for me to to say it without, I think, sounding almost, I don't know, Disney esque, but is there just something about the magic of like really everyday life that, like, I think I saw a meme once that I thought, like oh yeah, of you have died and you're now in the afterlife. And everyone's asking, so how is heaven? <laughs> I was
0: like, yes. Oh, funny. So, I love you know, that. When
1: we talk about, as we often do, about, you know, our purpose here being creating heaven on earth, mm-hmm. which sometimes takes the form of a we need to, Remodel our social sphere and rechange. change you know, we have got all this stuff. The world seems like really crazy and chaotic and all that sort of stuff. All true. Mm-hmm. And imagine that this world is like utter magic. Right. And and to not lose that perspective yes, in the that. midst of the chaos and, yes. and all
0: of that. Yeah, um, and you, I know, because I think when I said the timing of your book and where we're at in this, you know, life in 2023 now and how the the division and, you know, how we've watched since 2020, this divide, but the way you have this amazing way of just looking at it as, gosh, I mean, that's perfect. And that's perfect. Let's live. And look at it. Like where it's magic. It's all, yeah. you know, we get to be here and experience it and that's their perspective and that's their perspective. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. And
1: I can hold that paradoxically with, you know, perspectives like that's really cruel and that's really painful and that's really suffering. Like not living in a kind of like, that's why I kind of mentioned Disney. like pretending somehow that the world isn't full of like pain and suffering and that, that there are lots of things that we can do differently. And looking at all of that and kind of going, I can understand why, you know, in the same way that when we can look at ourselves and go really deep into our traumas and our past history, which I know you've talked about with a lot of your guests, and that's a huge part of the path, is to look at the world and be like, this. me looking internally at the first grader in Utah who felt utterly ashamed, or any of the other countless childhood experiences, is actually no different from looking out at the world and going, whoa, what is this? Going on here, right. like all these people doing all these sort of horrible things to each other. You're like, that's the same thing. If we're talking no separation, it's like, right. this is part of me. And now I have to meet it. How do I meet that compassionately, lovingly, not pretending it's not there? And that's a big question. I, I don't think I, I'm doing justice to it now, but it's, you know, when I say it's perfect, I don't want your listeners to think that I'm like, oh, nothing's happening in the world. Right. No,
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, you were talking about one thing like, you know, there's children in cages. And if you don't like that president, go vote, you know, do something. If that makes you feel like you can help that situation. Absolutely. You know, we're not throwing it under the rug. Yeah. It's not like that. And I, yeah, I want, that's for sure that I'm not talking about everything's perfect and we're living at Disneyland, but if you can look at every, and so it's, I guess it's judgment is my, Mm -hmm. the word. I'm not judging the way they're viewing life, that's where they're supposed to learn and do those things. I'm not turning my face from it. If I want to help do something about it, Right? then I have that the will to do that.
1: Exactly. You know, there's a moment where something that shows up in your life as information, as something happening in the world, and you're going to have an emotional reaction to it. And it may be that, yeah, that's showing up in your life, As something where it's like, I'm having an emotional reaction to that. What, what is my reaction? Is it to push it aside? Well, there's probably a lesson there for you of not pushing away painful things in the world. Or maybe there's a moment where you're like, wow, I feel inspired to do something about that. Like it's a wake up call or just recognizing like, I think one of the most common reactions is for people to either look at the world and kind of fall into outrage. Like that's outrageous or. Con- condemnation like they're horrible yet yeah, there's suffering there. But it's like can you take a moment to understand how those situations arose like can you get curious about it we do that in meditation all the time it's sort of like I'm feeling something really painful I learn to get curious about it inquiry we, we dive in can you do that with the world without you know pushing it away rejecting it giving it the back of your hand
0: yes on that note we are at the end there was one question I've it's been stirring in my head and I just have to ask you what the council, will you explain, are they entities that have been humans before? How do you describe, how do they describe themselves?
1: Right. So when I first started channeling and I was very curious about it, you know, I asked them and they were like, we're a collective of, you know, kind of ascended masters of, of light beings who guide humanity's evolution. And I later learned I'm not the only one in contact with them. You know, there are a bunch of people out there who have written books who are connected with them.
0: When you say them, is it millions? Is it 100s hundred? Yeah, they've is never given country? me a
1: number. And I've asked, and I went to my friend, Tony, to give him his final third plug. Is And I was like, Tony, what is it? And they, he's like, it feels like a real collective of people of which your soul is a part. Like you are, soul is connected to this group. And they've never given me, you know, a full picture description. You know, at one time I asked, can I speak to individual members? And they're like, no, that's not your role. Like you don't get to choose. And, you know, some people are like, I want to talk to Jesus or I want to talk to the boot, you know, like people want to talk to specific figures. Then they've never given me the sense of being archangels. My sense of them is that they all have been, most of them have been incarnated as human. Oh, okay. Yeah, So I have, you know, had my own personal relationship to angelic beings and certainly like foster that. And it's a beautiful thing. But there's something that feels very, like I said, divine father about it. It does feel collective in the sense that individual identity, because this is a big theme in there, in the work that they do, which I've brought into, is how much... Our individual identities do get in the way of, uh, based on how we behave. Mm-hmm. You know, we get very defensive and we sort of get very rigid around our identities. And I think that there was a, there's an essence of teaching in the sort of like, it's collective and it's an understanding that it's sort of not then one being, right? Like it's not God. Right there's some sense of individuation of like prior experiences, but that by being a collective, I don't need to talk to them individually. So they, you know, they've always spoken in a we and they won't give me individual identities.
0: (laughs) But do you, do you feel like when you go to heaven, you're going to be part of that council with someone else that has come to incarnate in a body. And now you're going to be part of that council.
1: You know, it's, I'm actually quite stunned by your question, Ashley. That's such a beautiful question because, you know, in all of the time that I've had, I've never asked that. It's never even occurred to me because, and I guess this goes back to our prayer, our prior discussion about the afterlife. I really do try to lead my life with the sense of having as soft a footprint as I can of doing no harm, of clearing karma, not having unresolved issues. But do I know that I'm not going to reincarnate? Like, is my soul done? Right. Like, is that the end of the road for this soul? I mean, I imagine it's sort of like Patrick gets to go somewhere my soul's like, <laughs> well, Patrick didn't do X, Y, and Z. And so now we're going to go do that. You know, like, so it's interesting. I, um... I'll have to see if I can get an answer as to whether and maybe I'm not supposed to know, like, what would my life be like if I was told, you know, this is your final life. Nothing to worry
0: about. But if we don't have time and we're not, we're everywhere at once. (laughs) So maybe you are part of the council.
1: Maybe the higher self is like, you know, me already. And then this is exactly, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of time. And, and, and there being no time is, you know, for them and they're very clear, like for them, wait, you know, time, like they, they, they don't experience time the way we do that, you know, moments that I've had where I felt like I was getting something. I mean, do you know the movie Interstellar?
0: No, but I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, so this wonderful moment early in the, when Matthew McConaughey, like, is in this shuttle and they're sort of heading to a black hole and it looks like there's this sort of light being outside the shuttle. and It's like, they're like, first contact. And then later in the movie, because he's sort of gone to a black hole and he's, like, shifted in time and like, da-da-da, it turns out it's him. It's his future self touching him oh. and time has sort of folded on itself. Huh. So I feel like it's sort of like that, you know, my, my moments with my higher self might be like, you know, future me looking back.
0: You talk about a couple movies. I'm going over and I'm really sorry, but I could talk
1: to oh, you forever. it's fine by me. Okay, good. We can continue as long as you want. That okay, is I just call.
0: wanted to ask you because you brought up movies and you do reference a couple movies and I thought that's kind of fun when because I when you said that map of tiny perfect things, it was in mm-hmm. 2021. Yeah. I've never heard of that movie, but explain that movie and how it relates to you know, what you are trying to teach and yeah. what you believe.
1: So that was, I think, an Amazon Prime movie that I just happened to, to come across in one of those, you know, sort of serendipitous, synchronistic ways. It's a very sweet movie about a moment when suddenly it appears that there's two, there's a protagonist who's caught in a time loop. And sort of every day, it's a little groundhog day. Wakes up, the world is the same. Is living the same thing and then he finally meets somebody else, a young woman who's also aware of time everybody else is unaware that they're reliving the same day over and over and and they start hanging out and they start realizing that there's these all these things apropos of our discussion of slowing down they don't see in that day that when they start to see them they're like oh look at all these little miracles that are happening all the time. And they start to map it out and they have to rebuild the map every day. And for them, they come to an understanding or a belief that if they can map all of them, they'll get out of this time loop, that this is sort of like oh, okay. the, the the unity. And so they go around doing that. It's actually really perfect that you've asked about that because behind all that is this idea of mastery. We will complete all of this. We'll get the map. It'll be perfect. And they they get everything, and, and and they're still stuck. And they don't realize it until they realize why they got stuck. And it was her, not the protagonist, who we thought was the protagonist, the guy. Woman, her mother's dying, and she doesn't want to let go. And I'm actually getting, like, kind of a little bit clumped as I think about it, because then there's finally this conversation where she realizes, like, they're reliving this, and they're trying to create this perfect moment. And it has taught them to see these miracles in everyday life. But it was really about letting go of and accepting death, right? Mm. That suddenly in letting go and accepting death and the mother who has cancer and the daughter says, you know, what would you do differently? And she's like, nothing. It was all per, it was all perfect. And it was just this time loop that allowed them to see the perfection that they didn't see. So in a way, your question is just, so beautiful because it's really sort of brought all these threads together coming back to for me, you know, seeing the miracle of just everyday life by accepting that we're all going to die at some point. And we may look at this and go, wow, we were in heaven all along.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And on that note, I feel complete. Not really, Patrick. I could, you're amazing. And I so much enjoyed meeting you and, studying your book and learning about you thank you
1: oh thank you Ashley it's such a pleasure to talk to you and I just you know I could talk to you for hours but you know we uh
0: there's no time we get there's <laughs> no time but you know on the other hand yes but I've got to go, go pick truly. the girls up from school uh, um, thank you
1: so much for having me on your show oh, today.
0: you're so welcome so it's patrickpaulgarliger.com mm-hmm And it's the, you can go on Amazon and get all of his books, just put his name in and all of his books come up. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget, always look for the magic.